I'm your host, David Nage. This is Baselayer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the Baselayer podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of ARCA, where David Nage is a principal. ARCA is not responsible and does not verify for accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast series available for listening. The primary purpose of this podcast series is to educate and inform. The podcast series does not constitute financial advice or other professional advice or services. Please do your own research. This podcast is presented by Blockworks Group one of the best digital asset event and media production companies that I know of. For exclusive content and events that provide insight into digital assets, visit them at blockworksgroup.io. You won't be disappointed. This is David. This is your new episode of Baselayer, and it's a real honor. I have Jesse Powell, the CEO and co-founder of Kraken with me today. Jesse, how are you? Doing well, thanks. Thanks for having me. So this is really, really a honor, as I said. Kraken is arguably the top exchange out there for digital assets. Uh, This asset class and technology stack has matured, and Kraken with it has matured and has become one of the leaders out there. And so, Jesse, we really appreciate you coming on. I know it's busy, especially what's been going on with Bitcoin and some of the alts out there, but we would really love, before we get too far into the vision and what you're building there at Kraken, just rewind the tape a little bit, kind of go back. What inspired you through your journey over the last you know few years to build Kraken and to get into this asset class and build this dominant force that it's become? What really inspired that uh, through your journeys? Well, the last few years has been the last nine years. Uh, we started this in July of 2011, and uh, we just had our ninth birthday as a company um, a couple of days ago. Thanks. Happy birthday. Uh, thank you. Um, so, you know, it's been a very long road, and, and, you know, our view on things has changed somewhat over time as the space has evolved. Uh, but, you know, we got started kind of coming out of the, uh, the first hack of Mt. Gox back in June of 2011. Um, that really inspired me to to want to create more crypto exchanges and and definitely at least one that really did things the right way from the start mm-hmm. uh, and could really be that bridge from the the old traditional kind of legacy system into the new world for people um, to get regulators comfortable to get banks comfortable to, to get even individual people comfortable with this new technology uh, right. so you know, just bringing people into crypto has really been our primary driver throughout the entire history of the company. Still is today. You know, I still think uh, most people just don't have Bitcoin. And it's, I think it's still going to be a while before they do. And um, I would love to get Bitcoin and, and other crypto assets to the point where they're as, as kind of widely accepted as um, stores of value or as money. Um, as stocks are. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, that's really our mission. It's, it's what drives us is to just bring more people into crypto, to give them a great experience with crypto, uh, to get them comfortable with it. And um, hopefully through kind of learning about crypto as um, an investment vehicle and a store of value, they will come to understand kind of all of these other 
great things about it, uh, you know, like how, how it can just completely change the world. Right. Um, you know, with, I mean, if we got rid of fiat currencies and if everyone didn't need anyone's permission to, to trade, um, you know, there are all kinds of amazing social implications of the world getting on to uh, a Bitcoin standard. So I would love your opinion on this. And we're going to talk about your mission statement. And we're going to talk about what the differentiating factors that Kraken is offering these days relative to others that are providing services. But as your, relatively speaking, an OG, someone who's been in this world for nine, 10 plus years, I'd love for you to opine about this. And this is kind of just a free thought. And again, there's no right or wrong answer to this, but myself and others out there have been trying to move the way that we talk about distributed and decentralized assets from crypto, air quotes, to digital assets. Um, there are ones that can be defined as cryptocurrencies, obviously store value, namely Bitcoin, uh, in my opinion, and others. But there are others out there that are representing things, whereas that asset is helping to fuel a network or it's representing ownership of art um, and an NFT type of asset. What do you think about this move, or do you think it has any value to move the way that we talk about these things to digital assets versus crypto? Uh, yeah, I think I think the one thing that kind of unites them all together is is this blockchain component, right? Which is how they're different from just domains, for mm -hmm. example, you know, which exist in uh, a centrally managed database somewhere. And there's a federated system for tracking all this and, and all of this stuff. But, um, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe the word crypto is a bit confusing to people, or maybe it's scary. Um, but there is something unique about these crypto tokens, mm -hmm. uh, you know, apart from other virtual assets, you know, that are, that exist inside of a video game or exist, you know, in your PayPal account or, right. you know, at a domain registrar. Um, so, you know, I don't know about the language, you know, I think it'd be interesting to do some, some user research on that or do some kind of survey and see, you know, what kind of feelings people have about each of these terms. I'm not personally, you know, married to, to one or the other. Right. Yeah. It's just, as you were talking about adoption, we're talking about growing this audience in the sandbox. It just seems that, Maybe the way that we talk about it can have an influence, but you're right. We should do some more analytics and more surveys on that. But let's talk about the mission statement at Kraken. So the mission statement is to accelerate the adoption, as we've been talking about, of digital assets or cryptocurrency so that you and the rest of the world can achieve financial freedom and inclusion. So I'd love for you to discuss some of the ways that Kraken is doing that. Is it via education or things similar to, for instance, what Coinbase did with their acquisition of Earn.com? Or are there other methods? And then, you know, we'd really love you to discuss the on the shift, you know, you know, as I mentioned, to, you know, different tools that are out there to help with adoption. So let's talk about just how do we get to adoption and let's talk about your mission statement and how we actually do that. You know, is what type of education, what type of tools has Kraken been working on or developing that really help with that? Yeah, I'd say that the most important thing for adoption is is local banking for people all around the world. So having like a very cheap and convenient and well understood method of of moving money um, in and out of a crypto brokerage 
um, is probably the most important thing. And that still doesn't exist for a lot of people today, you know, depending on where you are in the world, you might need to send an international wire transfer, which might cost you 40 or $50, um, you know, even to buy $10 worth of Bitcoin. Uh, you know, that's obviously uh, not smart uh, to do that. And it would be much better if, you know, the cost of buying Bitcoin uh, was 10 cents or something, you know, like uh, SEPA transfers in the EU are like less than 10 cents for us, you know, so that's, it makes it super accessible for people in the Eurozone uh, to, to buy and sell Bitcoin. You know, there's not, there aren't these massive fees and there aren't these massive like multi-day delays while dealing with, um, you know, the SWIFT wire system. So I think that's a major hurdle. And uh, right now, you know, that's a huge focus. It's, it's been a big focus all along is just finding local funding partners all over the world, banks in as many countries as, as we can get them to make it cheap and fast and easy for people to, to get in and out of mm-hmm. crypto. Uh, so that's a huge piece of it. And we still have just across the whole industry and across the world, relatively little coverage. And, um, you know, I think just different countries take a different approach to crypto and mm-hmm. banks are still, even though they've been warming up over the years are still, um, a little bit skittish about banking crypto businesses. Right. We've seen that change, obviously, over the last few months, where some of the larger banks are now banking some of the companies within this space. And I'm curious, you know, in thinking about kind of spreading the gospel or educating the masses, why do you think, you know, from the conversations you've had, and obviously they've been various and they've been over years, I'm sure you're still kind of perturbed, and I'm sure you might get this once in a while, that you come across someone who says, no, I really like that blockchain stuff, but really not Bitcoin. And do you think that's because there is an education gap? And how do you think we as a community need to address that? Yeah, this was like all all the rage back in like 2014 or 2015 uh, as well. And actually, you know, we had all of these opportunities to do blockchain, um, whatever partnerships and, you know, investors wanted to invest in a blockchain company and not a Bitcoin company. And, um, fortunately we resisted that temptation. And in my view is always just that this is like, this is hype. And, um, you know, at least right now, the best thing to do with the blockchain is, is Bitcoin. Um, so we always stayed focused, um, on, on the asset uh, component of, of blockchains. Uh, I still think, yeah, there's great things you can do with, with blockchains. Um, there's some very interesting stuff, you know, it creates new opportunities for transparency and accuracy and um, provenance and, and all of this uh, cool stuff. And, you know, tokenizing um, things is really cool. Timestamping things is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a bunch of great use cases for Bitcoin, but I don't think anything comes close to the money use case, you know, in in terms of just like being like a game changer for the world, you know, like something that just hasn't existed before and um, completely destroys, you know, like everything that came before it in terms of like uh, usefulness. So, you know, these other things I think are kind of incremental improvements, like, you know, tracking the ownership of, of real estate on the blockchain I think is interesting, but, and, 
and would be an improvement over the current system. Uh, but it's like a 20% improvement, you know, whereas mm-hmm. like Bitcoin over fiat currencies is like a billion percent improvement. All right. So speaking about Kraken specifically and looking at the larger ecosystem, you know, I believe market cap of digital assets is over $320 billion currently right now. We've seen a nice steady increase. There's been a lot of reasons for that. Uh, one can look to the kind of Cambrian explosion of digital assets that are associated with DeFi open finance. Obviously, Bitcoin has also had a very nice steady rise from about 9,200 to well over 11,000 over the last few days. So there's been a lot of things happening. Then, of course, there's been the inclusion of a lot of new investors. We've seen Paul Tudor Jones. We've seen Jim Simons at Rentac. We've seen more and more institutional qualified investors coming into the space. So when they are listening to this show, the family offices and institutional investors listen to this show, kind of would love for you to opine about this. What gives Kraken a competitive edge to some of the others in the space? A couple of things we really focus on um, are security. And so far, we've got a flawless track record with security, knock on wood. Um, it's something we, we've invested in from the start, you know, coming out of the, the Mt. Gox hack of 2011, that being the inspiration, and, you know, and then kind of seeing what happened a few years later um, with Gox, you know, I think we were basically kind of from the very beginning um, viewing security as like the number one thing, you know, like you can screw up a lot of stuff, but no matter what you do, you just can't like lose everybody's money. Mm -hmm. You know, that's uh, not only do you lose your business, but you know, your reputation and and you might go to prison. And that was, you know, just something that my co-founder and I, when we started this, we were leaving what was already like a very successful business that we had for 10 years. So it wasn't like, uh, for us, it wasn't like, you know, get rich quick kind of scheme. It was like, okay, we're, if we're going to leave this business where we're already making millions of dollars a year to go do this new thing, we're going to do it right. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're not going to go to prison and we're not going to like lose everyone's money and destroy our reputations and all that. So fortunately we could afford to invest heavily in security and, and my co-founder is like an amazing security guy. And I never would have started in a business like an exchange or any kind of custodial service without somebody like him. So I'm just super lucky to, to have him. Um, so security is definitely like number one, I would say like number two is customer service. Um, this is like always a pet peeve of mine. I can't stand bad customer service. And I Mm -hmm. think that, uh, in crypto, especially because people are already coming into it with maybe like, negative views about it, you know, maybe in some ways, like just expecting to get screwed somehow mm-hmm. um, or expecting it to be complicated. Uh, we really see ourselves as you know, not only, you know, representatives of Kraken, but also representatives of, of crypto, uh, you know, in a way that like a traditional bank, they don't have to be the representative of us dollars, you know, like that's not their, their problem. Um, but for us, you know, like people coming into Kraken, it might be the first time ever that they're trying to engage with, with crypto. Mm-hmm. So um, we really, you know, we see ourselves as educators. We try to be like just super great about customer service, having like very fast response times, um, you know, really like going above and beyond to, to help people. 
um, right. just so that that first experience is not negative. And then they, you know, bail completely. And then they tell their friends, well, I tried it, but it seems like it was a scam. So, you know, don't try it. Right. Uh, you know, we think Bitcoin is going to spread through, through evangelism mostly. Um, so, you know, we want to uh, create great experiences for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'd say like those are the top two things um, beyond those, you know, less important, I guess, is just building a diverse ecosystem of, of assets on the exchange. And sometimes we get hate for this, that like, you know, the hardcore Bitcoiners will say like everything other than Bitcoin um, is a scam. And so I don't understand why you're trading anything other than Bitcoin. You know, you should just be trading only Bitcoin. And, um, you know, there's, there's not enough business there, unfortunately, right. to just do Bitcoin. And we see ourselves as like a stock exchange, right? Like you can't, NASDAQ would not just delist everything and trade only Tesla or only Apple or whatever, you know, despite what, what people might think is the better investment. Fortunately, you know, we don't have to decide what the best investment is. Uh, you know, we're here to, to provide a marketplace and mm-hmm. uh, we list tokens that, that our customers say they want to trade. Um, we do the best we can to evaluate these tokens and make sure that something that's like obviously a scam is not getting through, you know, that these are like actually legit projects. So there's definitely some vetting that happens, just like there's vetting that happens when you uh, go public you know, right. and you're trading the stock of a, a company. Um, but, uh, you know, we try to, to list as many coins as, as we can vet and support um, because this, the, the ecosystem is developing and there's a lot of new tech out there. And, you know, I think it's, all very risky you know it's all like very early days and mm-hmm. um some things may be massively over or undervalued but uh you know it's impossible to keep up with everything and you know the best way to figure out what these things are worth is just to like create a market that's right that's i was gonna say you create a market and the market figures it out for itself and you know i would also give you credit for saying what you said because you know, as everyone has listened to my show, I'm not a Bitcoin maximalist. I'm not an Ethereum maximalist. I'm a knowledge maximalist. And there's a lot of things out there that are very interesting. Bitcoin is superior at what it does. But from a technological standpoint, there are things that the core development team don't want it to do. They don't want it really to do smart contracts. They really want it to focus on what it's excellent at doing. And what it's excellent at doing has a massive total addressable market. But, you know, it'd be reticent to just kind of ignore that the underpinnings of Bitcoin, you know, relatively speaking, the blockchain cannot be used for other things. And so that's why you've seen, you know, Ethereum today is celebrating its fifth year anniversary of its Genesis block. And then you've had this Cambrian explosion. Again, I'm using that phrase. And I know Dan Held is over there at Kraken. So if he's listening to this, Cambrian explosion is something that I have been stealing from him for the last year after he came on my show. Um you know, there's a lot of things that are happening out there that, you know, to your point, the market will evaluate. And uh, I think you're absolutely right. You're providing an excellent function, um, you know, building a marketplace for that to happen, for those things to proceed. So let's talk about how you actually are building and expanding Kraken. Uh, You've had several acquisitions uh, over the last year, uh, starting with, you know, you know, I don't know if you stay starting with, but Crypto facilities was one of them. Interchange, where Dan was, Circle Trade, um, and so there's been a few others in in the mix there. 
what is the strategic vision of the firm? And what do you think it's going to look like in the next five years? Yeah, good question. Um, so, you know, generally, uh, we're, we're a financial services company. And um, the mission long term basically is to well, expose people to crypto, bring more people into crypto. Um, I think some ways of doing that are uh, letting people trade more things in one place. You know, so not just um, not just being a crypto exchange. You know, down the line, it would be great to to trade other asset classes, and you know, maybe people end up coming to us to trade stocks, and then they'll learn about Bitcoin. Um, or, you know, what, what what is really interesting to me is um, when more things become tokenized, you know, or even stocks become tokenized, like and, and basically become bearer bonds um, or bear assets. Uh, you know, I think that's super cool. That's something we're like perfectly set up to do. And do you think that happens, Jesse? Uh, you know, I think it's a, a regulatory question, really. I think it would ha- it would have happened already, um, but for the regulators. Uh, so, you know, right now, in most most of the world, um, you can't just create securities and. Um, you know, or tokenize stock in a private company and, and move it around freely. Uh, you know, you like need to know who, who are the owners or who are your shareholders at right. any given time and, and stuff like that. Uh, and, you know, for, for many companies, maybe you would want to know, I mean, for Kraken, I think I love knowing who our shareholders are. Um, it would be a little bit scary if we had, you know, let's say like 50% of the company was just owned by anonymous people. Mm-hmm. out there that we don't know who they are or what their, you know, real, real motivations are or whatever. Um, but I think that some companies just like, you know, wouldn't care or wouldn't care up to a certain point, you know, like maybe 25% of your stock you can issue on the blockchain and you don't care who owns it. Um, you know, as long as you know who has the majority. Uh, I do think that that's, that would be massive. And I think we're going to continue to see this tokenization of assets because just for capital efficiency purposes, right? Like there's all this stuff happening with DeFi where even other crypto tokens are being like tokenized on other blockchains. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have like Bitcoin on Ethereum right. and then that Bitcoin can be traded in smart contracts. Um, and it can also be used just to, to transact um, Bitcoin in a faster and cheaper way. You know, and right. if you really care to get the physical Bitcoin back, you can go, you know, do, do the cross chain swap back and, and get your physical Bitcoin. And I mean, it's sort of the way that, that the dollars had worked historically, you know, with there's gold in the vault that's backing these. And, you know, there's, there's obviously like a use case for that. Um, but I think we'll, we'll see other things tokenized. Like, you know, if you could tokenize your house um, and you could put it into a smart contract, not that this would be wise, but <laughs> let's say, you know, you, you needed extra collateral you know, you just, you have all these assets that are kind of sitting dormant and not, not being useful. And, um, you know, that's great for, for maintaining a low risk profile, but if say you wanted to leverage those assets, um, tokenizing them and putting them into a smart contract is a great way to do that. So, um, yeah, I I think that the demand is there. Like I think people would do it if we could find a legal way to do it. And I think, the law is going to have to change really. Um, and, and hopefully it does kind of catch up because you know, it was created for a different world 
and um, a lot of the regulators are having to, to take another look at it. And actually, I shouldn't say regulators. Uh, the regulators basically enforce the law or try to interpret the law. It's the legislators really who who tell the regulators what to do and write the law. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think we need new laws written. Interesting. So just on that tokenizing aspect, and one of the things that you know we talk about a lot as a firm is that when you're looking at companies, say Amazon, Amazon has equity, it has debt, and those are typically the ways on the cap stack that you can, you know, obviously invest. And that, you know, we think it is, and I agree with you, and I think we agree with you, is that in the foreseeable future, that these companies out there will use digital assets as another form, another part of the cap stack. And so it'll allow investors to have participation. And those that are especially building networks out there uh, will allow for future participation on on that. And so I completely agree with you. In the thinking, again, the kind of the strategic vision hat, if you will, you know, thinking about some of what's been going on out there in terms of the competitive landscape, I'm just kind of, I want to pick on that a little bit more before we talk about just on the regulatory side. Um, You've seen some of the others out there that are starting to pick off prime brokerage, um, and they've started to add different components to that. Do you see Kraken over the next few years becoming a one-stop shop where an investor can do everything possible that they want to, you know, vis-a-vis Kraken? Uh, yeah, I don't know about everything, but yeah, more, more and more. You know, there's like a, just a capital efficiency thing to having all your money in one place and being able to do everything in one place. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, I think the more that we can offer on Kraken, the more likely people are to to trade on Kraken. Um, we we know just from user feedback that even just not having a particular token can be enough for someone to move their portfolio away to another exchange. So, wow. um, you know, I, I think there's kind of a race to converge on mm-hmm. a common set of features, yep. uh, which is coming not just from within the crypto space, but from, from outside as well, from traditional brokers and from banks. And in the United States, the OCC just said that banks can custody crypto. So I think you're going to see, I mean, it's already happening. A, a lot of players who aren't Right now, you know, they're kind of starting from different points, but all going kind of toward the center of having the same set of features, which is going to be like payments, wallet services, stock trading, crypto trading, um, maybe options trading, uh, banking services, you know, mm-hmm. maybe lending services, uh, all of this stuff. So, um, you know, and there are a bunch of guys working on this uh, right. now. So um, I, fortunately, I think the space is big enough that, that you have, you know, many, many surviving large players. Um, but yeah, I think that's kind of how, how it goes. And I would love to see more DeFi engagement. Uh, you know, I think that Kraken and these other players being interfaces for DeFi is also like another great step that I think we can take to get, you know, basically to kind of in some way um, give up some control over the custodial component. And maybe we can still provide like a support layer for the stuff and an interface. But um, interesting, you know, try to offload as much as we can to to DeFi. Although mm. that's that's risky too, right? Like yeah. there's, 
you know, we, we, every other day there's a, a hack or a bug found in a, a DeFi contract. So, um, but you know, that appeals to some people, the guys who are on like the bleeding edge of what's happening um, and who are sophisticated, you know, if they want to use that stuff um, and they know the risks, I think it's cool to be able to support that as well. Yep. And uh, I, I hear you. It's kind of understanding that there's this precipice of technology where things are just exploding and the possibilities are endless. But at the same time, you got to make sure that things don't blow up because people are putting a lot of money there and you have a fiduciary responsibility to them. You can't just let something slip. You know, oops, you know, there goes your million dollars that you put on, you know, our exchange or oh, there's, you know, there, there's that money that you, you know, put into that CDP. Oops, I'm oh, sorry. You know, the contract, you know, blew up. Yeah, I, I hear you. There's this kind of balance between both. I'd love to get some of your macro, you know, some thoughts on macro. Um, the OCC just last week on that uh, kind of put out a letter saying that nationally chartered banks in the U.S. can provide custody services for digital assets. And so this was big. A lot of people were talking about it. And so I'm kind of curious from your point, again, you know, over 10 some odd years of experience in this world and building, do you feel that we're in an inflection point right now for Bitcoin digital assets and the overall adoption? And what else do you think is needed to get people really comfortable? Yeah, um, I don't know if we're, we're at an inflection point. I think that, you know, I, I've, I've probably thought this several times in the past, so I think I'm, I'm being more measured now. Um, but, you know, the stuff with the OCC, what they've said is basically banks could have done this all along. Um, you know, that they're just kind of giving guidance that, yeah, banks could always do this. You know, they, they could always custody basically arbitrary assets and Bitcoin is one of those. So um, Bitcoin's cool. So, but it's great to have that clarity um, because banks often take a negative view on anything. They just don't have absolute clarity on. And, you know, that gray area, um, that problem exists for many financial services firms as well. They're just, you know, don't want to touch anything in the gray area and we'll just wait for something to be explicitly whitelisted. And I think it's why you still see a lot of, uh, firms still sitting on the sidelines. Um, whether we're at an inflection point, you know, I think all the stuff happening in the world um, with COVID and all the money printing around the world. And, you know, I think people are noticing like the government's not actually like really good at managing stuff. Um, and maybe there's like actually an infinite amount of money. And what does that mean for my savings account? Right. Um, you know, so I think that like just, the situation now is, is getting more people to, to take notice um, of crypto uh, as, as both a form of payment and, an, and a store of value. And, and then, you know, I think those are kind of the first things that, that they find out about, um, you know, Bitcoin as an investment. And then from there, they go down the rabbit hole of like, okay, what are all these other utility tokens and DeFi and all of this stuff? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't know. Um, I think that, I think we would be seeing more adoption of crypto right now if it weren't for a third of the United States being unemployed. You know, uh, I think people are, are probably, you know, I think they're doing either two things. They're just like YOLOing on like a hundred X options or they're like hoarding every penny they can find because their future is so uncertain and they don't know when they're going to back to work. Right. To um, the point. So, but I don't know, I, I hope, hopefully that coming out of 
this when everyone is back to work and things have settled that, you know, people don't forget everything that we just learned, you know, which is that the government is willing to print an infinite amount of money and they're not great at managing things. And, you know, maybe you ought to look at an alternative, um, Bitcoin. That is spot on it. That last sentence, you know, with this idea of forgetting or not forgetting, really interesting because uh, I don't like to say this because obviously I'm active on social media, but, you know, I have a feeling that we're in a new kind of society where we all have ADHD, where we pay attention to something like we with, with COVID. We all were locked into that here in the United States for a few months, all of us. And everyone was home. Everyone was doing what they needed to do. And then kind of just started to forget about it. And then the masks issue started coming about, oh, I don't really need to do that. And then just kind of speculating if this is really a problem, blah, blah, blah. And now we have 150 some odd people, uh, 150,000 some odd people who have died from it. Um, and to your point, we have a third of the you know economy unemployed right now. We have you know the GDP numbers that came out that were pretty bad today. And so to anyone who's listening, it is all of our jobs to keep on reminding people about all these things. And it's not just something that, you know, will magically be inspirational for everyone. People want to forget bad stuff. They want to just move on. They're the Netflix society. They just want to, you know, switch to the next show. And so, you know, I hope to God that you're right, that we don't forget and that, you know, we continue to remember that and that this is a very important part of our society and important part of time that, you know, all of that printing, the trillions of dollars, you know, the probabilistic outcome of that will have a negative outcome on the U.S. dollar and other fiat out there. So, well said. So, one of the things I'd like to do before we let you go, and hopefully you can give us a minute or two on this, a little fun part of getting to know our guests a little bit more outside of just the work that they do on a daily basis there are two things that I always ask upon any books that you've read recently that were inspirational, something that you, you know, couldn't put down. And then all of a sudden you told all your friends like, wow, got to read this book. This is amazing. Anything like that or any articles out there. And then another fun one is music. And I think music tells a lot about a person's personality. So books and music, what do you got? Well, I just ordered the, the book called remote um, by the base camp guys. Um, but I haven't read it yet, so I can't tell you anything about it, but um, seemed timely. Um, other stuff I've read lately, I haven't really read any other books, you know, since I've been locked up. Um, and I don't know why. That's funny because everyone, you would think that everyone would have time to read, but all of a sudden when we're all locked in, it's like, uh-oh, <laughs> I have so many other things I got to do. I don't have time to read it. I completely agree with you on that. I thought I was going to have a ton of time. I thought I was going to read 50 books, but I've also have two kids and trying to work from home isn't nearly impossible. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't imagine, you know, people, people that have kids that they used to have out of the house for six hours a day or something that are now back. Yep. Um, I'm sure that that is completely uh, life changing. Good times. It's good times. <laughs> yeah. I think it's cool. I think it's cool. You know, what I've heard is that the kids after completing all of their schoolwork for the day in like two hours start to question why they ever needed to go to school yes in the first place you know like it's such a waste of time yes uh so we'll see if anything changes there actually i just saw that colorado is giving people i don't know if this is like going on the ballot or it's already been voted but um 
they want to give people the ability basically to just take a check from the government and spend it on education however they want. Wow. Which would be awesome. That would be awesome. Um, yeah. So reading material, um, you know, I guess part of it is my, my local bookstore that I usually would go to to like physically buy books, um, has been closed. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's part of it. I guess that was just kind of like part of my habit. And I of course could easily order things off of Amazon, but I just, uh, I don't know. I've been reading tons of other stuff on, you know, Reddit and social media and, Mm um, there you go. I've been reading up a, a lot of like Nick Zabos and, and Paul Graham both have just like great blogs with like an endless amount of awesome content. Um, I love and, Paul Graham's. That's definitely yeah. a good one for those that don't know. Paul is really a, an amazing writer and he's an amazing thinker, especially about the future. And so definitely check out Paul Graham's uh, one for sure. Yep. Um, Any music that you like? Music? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm kind of like stuck in the the 80s and 90s. Um, I, I listened to a bunch of, uh, like late nineties, early two thousands, like techno stuff, uh, really? like Tiesto, Oakenfold, um, <laughs> all of those guys. Like there's, this is why I love that question. There used to be, um, I don't know where, where to find this now. Actually, I'm not like using file sharing services mm-hmm. uh, anymore, but, um, you know, back in the day, that was like one of the great things about like Napster and Kazaa is that like you could sets. get all these, yeah, these live sets yep. um, from like everything. And I don't know where to find that now. And like the stuff they have on Spotify is... No, um, it's not it. I I know exactly what you're talking about because I was a Napster person myself too back in college. And funny that you brought up electronic because I was a DJ for about 10 years. And so I've played with Oakenfold and I've, you know, you know, hung out with Tiesto and all those guys. And so the early, the late nineties, the 98, 99 period of kind of trance and then Prague, uh, kind of going into, you know, what started happening with kind of, you know, German techno, um, and minimal, you know, it was, I really, really love that 99 to 2000 period as well too. It was more, you felt good. And, you know, for me, global underground, especially those ones from Oakenfold and Sasha, uh, were really, really instrumental for me. So love that you, you said that that's, we're very, very, very aligned on the music side, Jesse. Awesome. And apart from that, I listen to like old Depeche Mode and Cure Guns N' Roses, like, uh, Old, stuff. Uh, so as we're going and we're letting Jesse go, where, if people just want to learn and it's, I know it's pretty simple, but where can people learn more about Kraken and, you know, possibly reach out to you all? Yeah, they can learn more about Kraken at our blog, which is blog.kraken.com or they can follow us on Twitter. The handle is at KrakenFX. You can follow me on Twitter at Jess Powell, J-E-S-P-O-W. Um, we've got a Reddit page. Um, we've got a a new Instagram feed uh, posting some, some like funny stuff too. No TikTok. Um, No TikTok yet. I'm I'm afraid of the Chinese surveillance, Um, but also I feel like I'm too old to be on TikTok. I kind of missed the boat on that one. Yeah. All right. This was a great conversation, Jesse. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Again, Kraken is one of the leading exchanges out there in digital assets. This was a pleasure and honor. Thank you for taking time on your busy day, and uh, we'll be seeing you soon. Thanks for having me. 
Thanks for listening in to Base Layer. If you like the show and all the different guests that we've brought on, please give a like and subscribe on Apple or Spotify or wherever you do listen to the podcast. Also, if you want to have a conversation or reach out to me, you can reach me out on Twitter at David J. Nage. And let's talk there. Or also you can find me on LinkedIn. And I look forward to having great conversations with you all about digital assets.